You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hi, everyone. I am Martina Cunha, and you're listening to Backstage Talk. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Backstage Talk. Today's guest is Ryan Donovan. He is an assistant professor of theater studies at Duke University. He is also the author of Broadway Bodies, A Critical History of Conformity, and Queer Approaches in Musical Theater. Both books will be published in 2023, the first one in February and the the Queer Approaches in the summer of 2023. Ryan, I am so excited to have you on the show, mostly because the conformity and the conversation about the bodies Broadway has had on stage is very near and dear to my heart. So welcome to Backstage Talk. I'm really excited. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure to be here. So what did I miss on your bio? Like, how did you end up teaching at Duke? How did you end up being in theater and in the arts? Well, I think it all began for me really early. Actually, my earliest memory of my interest in theater was in first grade. Mm-hmm. when we did a, a puppet, a stick puppet version of Peter Pan. And I was absent the day that my teacher ha- held auditions. And I really, really wanted to be Peter Pan. And I came back and found out that not only did I not get cast as Peter Pan, I was cast as Captain Hook. And so I was, you know, really disappointed. But I think in the long run, I, I, I look back at that now and I understand why I've had this lifelong fascination with casting and who gets cast and which part and who doesn't and Mm -hmm. all of the complexity of the choices that go into casting and body type and um, every other kind of vector that informs casting from, you know, the way you look, the way you sound, the way you move. And, you know, I still don't quite know why the teacher saw me as Captain Hook and not Peter Pan, but Uh, You know, I I look back at that moment as a really formative experience that I think, you know, it's it's funny to like look back and trace, trace your history. Um, And so for me, it it all kind of begins there, which is, you know, I didn't realize that until I was finishing up writing Broadway Bodies and asking myself, why, why was I so interested in this? And 
where mm-hmm. did it come from? And, um, you know, it, it's been in, it's been brewing in me for decades, <laughs> apparently. <laughs> yeah, it, it sounds like it has. Um, so tell us a, a random fun fact about you. Um, a random fun fact about me is that I grew up in a really small town in, in Maryland called Chesapeake Beach. And my dad was the mayor of that town for 25 years. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's, that is a lot of, of time <laughs> being in that yeah. position. He kept running unopposed. So um, <laughs> he kept winning. Yeah. <laughs> so which was your aha moment in which you said, I want to be in the educational side of the arts and the theater? Well, I, I, like a lot of uh, theater professors, I started out as a performer And I was working my way up, getting equity points, equity membership points at theaters around the country. And then I finally got my equity card. And I was doing summer stock at the Merry-Go-Round Playhouse in upstate New York. I think now it's got a completely different name. I think it's called the Roundhouse. But um, I was doing Brigadoon one summer. And there was a cast member, Megan Duffy, who was in the middle of earning her Ph.D., in theater and performance. And I didn't even know that was a thing that somebody could do. Mm -hmm. And so that kind of planted a seed within me. And then as, as the years went on and I was, you know, transitioning out of performing and thinking about what do I want to do next? I remembered Megan working on her, uh, her PhD exams that summer. And I guess that was my aha moment that I thought, oh, I could do this. And not only could I do it, I should do it. And because I was, you know, when I was a kid, I would do um, two things to play. I would dance around the yard barefoot. And so, of course, it made sense that I became a dancer later. And the other thing I would do is play school. And I used to have a grade book. And, you know, it's funny now because grading is my least favorite part of being a professor. But... (laughs) I used to have a grade book and I'd make lesson plans. And so, you know, somehow I made both of those, those kind of childhood play dreams come true. And, uh, you know, I was doing the one when the, the other uh, planted itself in front of me. And so, you know, you know, thanks to Megan and her journey on the PhD, I pursued it and, um, you know, it led me to to where I am now and to to write the the books that I've written and ask the questions I'm interested in and uh, really to to make to really try to make all of that um, legible to to non specialists like I really want mm-hmm. people that are Broadway fans to to read my work and it's not just written for other other PhDs and scholars, uh, you know, the conversation that I'm having, I think, is is aimed at 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 everybody, really. I love it. So let's double click on your book on Broadway bodies. Why write uh, a book with this name and also with such a heartfelt intro? It it maybe we can say it like that because i remember reading the the intro um where you said this book is written for everyone for every fat every 
too fat, too thin, too Latin, too black, too Asian. People, individual that has always been denied an opportunity in a row. So why write this book and why write now? It's a great question. Uh, I know that all of us who are performers often feel like we're either too much or not enough. And usually not enough. Uh, <laughs> I mean, at least that was my case. But um, I just, uh, you know, as a historian, I was really interested in finding out, you know, why did why is Broadway casting the way it is right now? And the way that I wanted to understand that was was looking back over the past five decades and thinking about what are the different factors and 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 not just external factors but internal factors to to Broadway musicals that mm-hmm. that led to the histories of the histories of exclusion that I write about in the book and you know when I was doing this research and I I, I was diving in in particular I began with looking at size and casting women in Broadway musicals and I realized that there were only two Broadway musicals of the past five decades that were available to plus size actresses to play a romantic lead to you know to specifically play a romantic lead and there's there are scores of roles where they could play the comedic sidekick or the mother or the best friend but yeah. only two and you know one is and they're they're both um very specific in terms of the the requirements of, in, of race, because in Dreamgirls, it's Effie White, and she has to be black. And in Hairspray, it's Tracy Turnblad, and she has to be white, because both of those stories are explicitly about race. And mm-hmm. so, you know, that's two roles out of hundreds of Broadway musicals. And so, you know, I started there, and then I started to also think about what other kinds of identities are so stigmatized in the United States that we don't see them on stage, or if we do see them, they are played by actors who don't share the qualities of that identity. So for instance, the section in the book on disability and physical difference, uh, you know, we can all count on probably, you know, one hand, the number of um, disabled actors on Broadway who have really made it, you know, and most people begin and end that list with Ali Stroker, you know, for her Tony Award winning performance yeah. in Oklahoma. And then in the middle section of the book, I was interested in um, kind of digging deeper into the way that Broadway includes uh, queerness and queer characters with a lot of ambivalence um, historically. And, you know, that's due to the, the changing social position of LGBTQ plus people um, in the past five decades, which has been enormously changed. And yet uh, we often think that musical theater and Broadway in particular is a very queer friendly space. And on the one hand it is, and on the other hand, it's, it's not quite so simple. And so I was interested in teasing that out in the book as well. and I guess to return back to the to the dedication of the book that you mentioned, I think that part of the part of the work that I did in this history was to to amplify voices that hadn't been 
seen in history yet, um, in, in Broadway musical history. I mean, we've all heard the typical canonical narrative of, of Broadway history. And I wanted to challenge that a bit and to introduce other ways of looking at, at our, at our Broadway history. Um, yeah. There was something else I wanted to say about that, but I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. And I love that you're challenging that. You're challenging that perspective that only certain type of built bodies are made for the stage. Uh, because that in today's world, that is mainly not possible because the standards that we've been taught have been for a specific type of race with a specific type of features we call that but in the end in 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 today's society is so like so unbelievable that we still have those standards like i remember going to my general physician and him saying like hey you're overweight and i was like yeah if you take into account that my body is way different to the bmi quote-unquote, supposed body. So you're taking into account a standard for a white male that probably is straight, that probably has this uh, array or this amount of specific uh, background things to his life that I don't have. So it's very, like, mind-blowing to me that in today's world, with today's medicine, um, we still are cataloging bodies under that factor step into the world of power loyalty and luck i'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse with family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chabacasino.com Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Yeah, absolutely. And one thing that I, I underlined throughout Broadway Bodies is that all of the identities I look at are still held up against this norm that you're discussing. You know, the the white, straight, Protestant, tall, athletic, male. And in the book, each each group uh, group identity category that I that I study um, faces a wage gap uh, against the the norm, the straight white male. So you know, there's an enormous wage gap for queer people versus you know the straight white male worker. Uh, you know, and the same goes for um, people that are disabled or people that are, um, you know, plus size people that um, actually there's an, an economist who did a study about um, a penalty, a wage penalty on 
appearance and that, you know, people that are conventionally attractive do earn more money. So I, you know, everything that I'm writing about is, it's always returning to this question of value uh, and who, who is valued um, in representation and also in our economy and how that, how actually the representation translates into someone's ability to earn a living. And, you know, one thing I really think is important for people to know is that, you know, the, the norm on Broadway is to discriminate based upon appearance, which directly translates into somebody's ability to get health insurance. You know, if you're in equity and you don't work a certain number of weeks in a year, you don't get health insurance. Um, yeah. And, you know, like all of these, all of these things are, are deeply intertwined and it's, it's about bigger questions than just who gets to be in a musical, which I, to me is a big question, but it's, it's so much more than that. Thank you so much for highlighting those type of stuff that like inside doors, inside our group of friends, we do have these conversations, but these, these topics need to go wider right and need to reach a bigger audience and for international people that are trying to get to broadway that don't understand what equity is or how equity works we need to know how this works and the challenges that as foreigners we would probably be faced with so thank you for doing that in your book you're welcome <laughs> let's dive into your journey as an educator so how would you summarize this whole roller coaster that has been your teaching experience i always knew that i wanted to be a teacher and i waited i think i waited until i really felt like i was ready to begin teaching so a lot of people start teaching when they're much younger i didn't start teaching until my mid 30s when i was in graduate mm -hmm. school and I am always interested in making the classroom as inclusive and participatory as possible and as experiential as possible. And I try to, you know, try to model for students the, the way that I think that they can intervene in the world. And I guess for me, being a teacher is also getting students to question the status quo and to to not just accept things as they are as something that's fixed and not changeable. And, you know, I, as I, as since I am a historian and I teach musical theater history and, and other theater histories, uh, I emphasize that nothing's fixed. Everything's always changing. And uh, that's really important to me because I think that we can, we can want to hold on to certain things or ideas or time periods and, everything is always in flux. And so to, to be able to emphasize that to students and to empower them to know that they can make change in the world and they don't have to wait for permission from, you know, someone who seems like they have all the power, uh, that, that they can create the change that they want to see. Uh, and to, to do that in a way that calls people in and attracts people to your movement rather than, necessarily, you know, calling out or, uh, you know, getting too involved in that, you know, actually like making, making 
making the world that they want to see come to reality is important to me as an educator. I love it. So what advice would you give to those that want to be in this industry, that are starting to get their education, that are looking for programs, um, and all related to this body type stereotype that we have in this industry, both for sizes, but also for queerness? Yeah. Uh, you know, in doing research for the book, I talked to so many people who told me about experiences in their college programs where, you know, if they were, uh, you know, plus size, they were told they weren't going to work until they were 40. If they were mm -hmm. queer, a queer guy, they were told to butch it up. Or, I mean, I remember being told at auditions, dance like a man, uh, <laughs> you know, and this is not that long ago. And I actually found out from a colleague that as at her school as recently as four years ago, they were still doing weigh-ins in their BFA program. So oh I, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's shocking, but not surprising. And I'm sure it's still happening in programs around yeah. the country um, and around the world. Uh, so I guess my advice to, to people who want to enter the industry, uh, you know, is that you don't have to enter one of the top BFA programs to have a career. In fact, um, I think that what the industry is sorely missing now is the kind of individuality in performers that existed before everyone started going through these training programs. And they're great and you will get amazing training and you will come out with, um, you know, you'll come out ready to work But I think that a little bit of individuality gets kind of stamped out of people in these these programs. So I think, you know, it's always great to to pursue your passions, but also think about what you're going to do in the meanwhile, because not everybody works constantly. I remember studying with Anne Ranking, and she shared with us that even she had auditions where she left in tears after being Tony nominated and being in all these Broadway shows and that she had years where she didn't work and she's one of the most talented Broadway performers ever. So mm -hmm. you have to think about what else you love to do uh, because the auditions, auditions are the real job when you're in a show, that's the fun part, but yeah. auditioning is the job. And so you have to approach it that way. You have to have, a support system and a way to deal with the constant rejection. You need to be able to network and understand that networking is not a dirty word, that this business is, is built on relationships. And so prioritize building relationships with people. And I think also, uh, as I said before, don't wait for permission. You know, create, create the work you want to be a part of don't wait for the audition, you know, get together with your friends um, and, and make it. And also recognize that Broadway doesn't need to be the center of your world. Uh, Broadway, Broadway will break your heart uh, as we've seen time and time again. And I'm thinking in particular this season with the, the fast closures of a few, a few shows like K-pop and Ain't No Mo among others. And um, you know, It's really hard not to take all of the rejection in this industry personally, but you you have to recognize that it's not a referendum 
on your identity, your personality, your worth, your your being. It's not it's not really about that and for for good and for bad, but you know, so look for look for opportunities wherever you are and you know, love Broadway but also kind of question it too and don't be afraid to 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 think beyond it because there is there is a, there are amazing things happening everywhere. And, um, you know, there's a, a great line from Gypsy where Rose says, New York is the center of New York. And, uh, you know, I, I take that to heart. So so yeah. do the do the best work you can wherever you are. Yeah, I agree. Totally agree with you. What is a risk that you've taken that has totally paid off? A risk that I took that paid off, but not how I expected it to pay off, was uh, one time... I was at an audition. I really, really wanted the job. I didn't get it. A few weeks later, I'm at Equity, sitting in the waiting room to go in for another chorus call. And my phone rings, and it's the casting director of the job I didn't get. And she says, um, the person we cast hurt his, hurt his knee. Can you be here tomorrow? And I said, absolutely. Book my plane ticket. And you know, I got to do the gig, which was great. But the way that that job paid off was was through lifelong friends, and you know we've I've been friends with so many people from that cast for uh, sixteen years now, and you know, so I think you know the payoff the, that's the payoff are the relationships that I have. It's it's not just that I got to do this great gig, but it, it's that that job gave me all these friends who are, you know, so important to my life. So um, I think, you know, uh, what you say yes to is really important, as is what you say no to. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And we love cast friendships because they are for life. Yes, absolutely. Ryan, last question. What are your top five favorite musical theater shows? This is this is really hard to narrow down, as I'm sure everyone says. But um, I'm gonna and go. And you, being a historian, you must have a pool of a lot of musicals. Yeah, from where to choose from. <laughs> I do. Um, and actually, none of these shows that I'm gonna list are shows that I ever performed in as a dancer. But um, I wanted to be in many of them. Um, so I would say my favorite show is Gypsy. Um, it just rewards almost every time I see it and listen to it. And a, cl a very close second is a chorus line. And uh, that's a show I always wanted to be in, but I could never, I, I just didn't look like anybody who was in the original cast. And I'm, I'm short, but I'm not a mic. So, you know, like that was always, you know, the, the rub at auditions. Um, yeah. uh, okay. Then number three would be dream girls, just obsessed with dream girls. Uh, Four is Chicago, and uh, because I am such a huge, a huge Fosse lover, and I and Candor and Ebb, and it's perfection. And then um, just to add a more recent show into the mix, uh, I would say Fun Home because that musical, every time I saw it, just actually left me speechless for a long time after I saw it. And I think it speaks to a completely different side of musical theater than the other shows, and shows that what what musicals can do and how deeply they can move us. I love it. 
I absolutely yeah. love it. Ryan, thank you so much for being here. I wish you all the best with both of your books. So thank you so much for being here. And if someone wants to contact you to buy the books when they're out, how can they, they find you? They can find me uh, on my website, which is ryan-donovan.com or just Google Broadway Bodies and you'll, you'll find me. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much. This, this was such a delight. Thanks everyone for listening to this new episode of Backstage Talk. Remember to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Backstage Talk Podcast. Hey, it's Leslie Udom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.